and welcome to the Painter Pride Quarterly Slush Pile. Uh, we do this show in order to share with you our democratic editorial policy and just how much time and care we take with every single piece we receive. So the we is Painter Pride Quarterly. The me is Kathleen Volkmiller. I'm here in the studio on a blustery day um, in Philadelphia at Drexel University and Blustery days work for Tim Fitz's hair. Your hair looks mighty fine, Tim. <laughs> it, it, um, it puffs. It puffs. It puffs when it's windy. It puffs well in the wind. Yeah. So that's me. <laughs> that's all we need to know about Tim Fitz. Good wind hair. And also we have our brand new co-op. You met her before, but Brittany Ogilvie. We're happy to have you here. Um, Okay. Uh, Up in New York. We'll stay in the country for a second. Hi, it's Jason. I am at home. Um, We're having another bathroom episode, if if anyone is interested. Um, Yeah, and I'm looking out at my lovely tree-lined brownstone block of Brooklyn. Awesome. Awesome. And Marion, I'm so sad I can't touch you anymore. Ah, so hello, hello, hello. I am here in Abu Dhabi watching the sunset. Um, and I was trying to come up with a, a cute name for the jet lag episode. I don't know. I'm so upside down. KBM. It's magnificent. Anyway, lovely to be here. Yay, PBP. <laughs> lovely to have you. Um, as we've mentioned, loyal slushies, uh, aka listeners, will know that um, we don't really release these in, in any sort of chronological order. And so just to tell you that we've just come back, many of us have just come back from AWP in Portland. So uh, thus the jet lag that Marion speaks of. Of course, she had the most of a time change. And since Abu Dhabi doesn't uh, adhere to the time change we make in America, she's actually now nine hours in the future for the next... Uh, Am I nine uh, hours? No, nine I think it's hours? eight. Aren't I you nine hours? No, I, I think I'm down to eight. Oh, it went backwards. It was nine and, and now it's eight. Yeah, I right. eight now nine. Wait, but we were also like on the West Coast, so it was like an additional three hours. Absolutely. Yep. You know what's really helpful? Not to do that. Just don't. Like don't there's do no math. To do the math. Yeah. Math is never a good idea. You're yeah. right. You're um, right. Fuck the math. makes things worse. Um, uh, also in the studio, we have uh, Joe Zhang, amazing sound engineer, and his new co-op, Anthony. Woo! My name is Anthony. <laughs> is it? Joseph Anthony. Joseph Anthony. Wow. Wow. I wonder how many of those there are. <laughs> okay. Well, without further ado, um, I'm going to say this about what we have today. We've got... Uh, a one poem by one poet, and then two to three from another, depending on how our time goes. And I want to uh, expressly and specifically, and with the biggest of hearts, thank Erin Kohler for her patience, because she gave us permission to re- uh, make this episode several months ago, and her um, she's kind of like, what's that joke? Who's the one late night show guy who, who always goes, oh, we run out of time for Matt Damon? Letterman. 
Was it Letterman? Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. It's Jimmy Kimmel. Like at the end of most episodes, he goes, we're supposed to have Matt Damon on tonight, but we ran out of time. Right. That sort of happened to Aaron Kohler. And I, I, um, I'm so excited that we're going to start the show with her today. So who would like to read Jason? <laughs> Jason? Oh, would Jason like to read? Um, yes, absolutely. So, um, Wait, let me um, navigate to the right thing. Okay, so we're starting with Aaron Kohler Q&A of World's Anatomy at the end. You've got it. All right. Yes. Uh, Q&A of World's Anatomy at the end. True, false. It is required that the earth crack open. First, it's yoke before the end. Is there a certain sound you need to hear? An anguish of language melted down in audible or fevered droning spread over all corners? True, true. Disregard the temperature. It's only going to get worse. You avoid the sun, bed into the mantle, mark out a spot for all to see before you have had this dance before, licked flames off of old boxing gloves and waltzed into fractured fault line breach. False, false. There was the proverbial flashbang, and then everyone was served popcorn while waiting for it to be their turn. Of course, it was buttered, extra buttered. This is the end of the world. False true. You thought it would be much grander. There'd be more splendor in this. Are you really putting hope into structural integrity at a time like this? Act smart. Call it a crevice. That sound that sounds scientific enough. If all else fails, remember the real estate market for lava is looking pretty good right now. You, you. In the movie version of what happened, you call it Fissure Island. How much more literal a name do you need? Toe around it all you want, but at the end, the only way off this rocky body is down. Bring a shovel and your best dancing shoes. Woo! Great read. Great read. Thank you, Jason. I cannot believe the way you imply that that forward slash with your voice sounds that was incredible so listeners when jason says true false true true false 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 true you you there is a forward slash in between them didn't he do a great job Good. yes yes indeed <clears throat> so uh listeners always remember that you can go to our website pbqmag.org and read ahead of time stop us and go look at it read along with us whatever you would like to do the poems are on the site for you uh before we make the show or release the show yep so i i'm just going to jump right in and say i am baffled by the structure of this poem like i i love its experimental nature but i am i i'm my brain is melted and it, it is not only about jet lag. It's also about the Q and a colon of world's anatomy at the end. Right. So you've got this sort of like apocalyptic um, call at the top. And then each of the stanzas starts with that true flash false or true, true, or you, 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 right. That Jason was reading, but does, can, does anybody 
feel like they have a key to this or to an understanding of the premise of this, or is it meant to be um, indecipherably decipherable? Well, I, th- I think it's it's apocalyptic, right? I mean, it's talking about indecision in the right. face of climate catastrophe, that we are facing this doomsday scenario and we just don't have any um, tools to talk about it or address it. And so it's kind of coming, I didn't quite get the true false, like at the beginning, the true false feels like um, a truth proposition, right? Like kind of like a true false test. Like, is this really happening? Um, Which made sense to me because, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, there are so many deniers. I mean, the reason we haven't done anything about climate change in part is because so many people just don't believe that it's real. Um, right? Is it required that the earth crack open, burst its yoke before the end, right? That um, there are so many people who, when they're told, hey, by the way, this is coming, this is starting to happen, um, like, unless, you know, there's something catastrophic, everything seems fine. And um, I don't quite understand the movement from true-false to true-true to false-false to false-true to you-you, um, but I totally get the movie version of what happened, right? This idea that we've been so trained by our media um, to think about the world that we continuously forget that the world. I mean, I remember on 9-11, this is like a weird little story, but um, when I got out of the train and I saw the Twin Towers on fire, um, it didn't look like a movie. Like I have, like how many times have I watched a movie where like a building is on fire and it's beautiful and it's, it's well-framed and the mise-en-scene is amazing and the colors, you know, are, are modified in this way that like the oranges and the reds and the blues and the blacks are kind of, um, like just, just to see how ugly it was, was shocking. And in that moment, I realized how completely I had been trained by film to see and so I think that like, like I totally get what's happening through the poem in terms of um, not having the conceptual tools that you need because the conceptual tools that you have for art or for film or for media are totally incommensurate to the crisis you're facing. And then I think the poem is also enacting it itself, right? The poem is kind of saying like, ah, right. like I'm not helping. Right. Right. Jason, I love that. Right. So in, in, with that reading in place, right, then it's it's sort of flailing right at a mm-hmm. sort of syllogism or a flailing at a sort of philosophical structure for understanding. Right. So like, how is it that the mind is going to be able to make sense? What are the tools we're going to draw on in order to make sense of the impossible end? Right. Um, which right. that really helps me with the, that that like indecipherability of a very formal seeming structure. Right. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Right. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, um, a hundred percent. And with Jason's read, I didn't, I was not confused. I totally get it. And I would like to take a minute to talk about the language too, just how gorgeous it is. Like, I don't think sometimes, you know, we read a poem and we say, Oh, I can't make, little sense, but this is so lovely to hear. I, uh, it's interesting, Marion, you know, to make sense of nonsense, but I think this whole thing is an interrogation of, uh, sort of what Jason said about why can't we, why can't you, we see this, right? 
um, the Q&A had me confused. That's where I got confused because Q&A is usually an interview, right? Mm-hmm. But true, true, false, false, like answers to a quiz. So I was a little bit, uh, you know, as I was, I started, I accepted it as a quiz, even though it said Q&A at some point. And because it's so filled with questions, I guess. Um, but from the get-go, the, the R's in the first line, the O's in the second line, the anguish of language melted down in audible or fever droning spread over all corners. I love all those sounds yeah. and how, how much control there is in this poem that is about chaos, right? Mm-hmm. And I even love the little, the little snicker I get in the third stanza about eating the popcorn. Of course, it was buttered, extra buttered. Mm-hmm. This is the end of the world, right? Yeah. I would like to say that um, I thought of it in regards to expectations when they talk about true, false, true, false, false, false. Because, for example, where it says in the poem how, like Kathleen was saying, you'll be eating popcorn, extra buttered. That's not the way the world is going to end. The last thing you're going to think about is eating popcorn, extra butter. So that's definitely false. Um, or like in the beginning, where it says true, false, the earth might crack open. That might be true. That might be false. We don't know how the world is going to end. So that's how I thought of it. Oh, okay. Okay. I struggle with the true, false, um, the true, true, the false, falses. I like, I like the stanzas and I don't, I don't necessarily dislike it, but I found that so much of my attention was going back to that, that it was taken away a little bit from my experience of reading the poem itself, which I really enjoyed. And I love, mm-hmm. whenever I take my kids to a movie, I always joke that this movie is going to be about the world splitting open and the lava pouring out because it seems like every movie is about that. Mm-hmm. I, I like reading about this in this poem and having it set in a movie and it's not corny. Um, but then the quiz, I, well, I, I'm, I, I struggle a little bit because I can see that also engaging readers. Yeah. And for me, it's, I'm not crazy about it, but I can see people really enjoying that part of it and having, having it be the thing that engages them. So, so normally I would say we, I would recommend clipping those, mm. but I think even though I'm not crazy about that aspect of the poem, I think it's important that they should stay because it doesn't ruin it for me. It doesn't. And it will engage others. It, yeah. pro- it could or engage others. Yeah. 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 I know it engages me because it adds a sense of humor to the poem. Mm-hmm. Like where it says, true, true. You ever hear someone says, say, am I right or am I right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I thought of. So <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, again, I think these, these two things are true, right? Which is the kind of like distraction built into the very structure of trying to understand something that sort of formality formality of the tool of either an interview or a quiz. Right. Um, and then ultimately those things falling short of the, of the apocalypse being described. And to Kathy's point too, you know, it, it, Jason, your reading of it made me fully feel the beauty of these line breaks too. Right. So yeah. dear reader, when you see this on the page, like it, it almost looks 
casual, um, these sort of like, you know, stanzaic blocks, but oh man, the joy on the line breaks, right? It's only going to get worse, right? Or, or you avoid the sun bed into the mantle, right? Like it's just beautifully hung at the end of the line so that you drop into the next one with such, um, you just a, a real sense of, of the control this poet wields, which is great. I mean, in a lot of ways, it, it, I mean, I find the poem um, quite painful because it's enacting yeah. all of these coping mechanisms and all of these kind of effective conditions of our current um, or our last 20 years of discourse that just fails in the face of what we're up against. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Best. Bring a shovel on your best dancing shoes. Would it make you feel better if we voted? On I it? think I might feel better if we voted. <laughs> Shall we? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you guys gonna write to Joe? Are you are you New York and Abu Dhabi writing to Joe? We are. Okay. I am. We are. Two, three. We are. Both. And it's unanimous. Woo! I love it. See, now I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Not the apocalypse. Vote yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need everything you can get, right? You need, you need memories of rooftops in Portland, Oregon. You need candy with friends. All those things, right? Hot butter popcorn. Um, so, okay. I'm going to volunteer myself. I'm going to be a selfish elf and um, move on to the next uh, set of poems. Uh, although I need a little pronunciation help with her name. Billa Doe, we think. I'm going to go with Billa Doe. Okay, so we have um, two or three poems by Amy Billa Doe. And... Um, I'm very excited to uh, go into these. Um, so once again, listeners, please read along if you dare. Amy Billado, it's warm here inside the fierce. It's warm here inside the fierce, blithe belly of the beloved. The wedding was entirely gray the way I like it. There were guests, a cold, colorful wind that we didn't want them. The ring is gray on the gray mottled counter and the floor, also gray, the walls, etc. The tender sky, you can imagine. Lovely. Really nice reading. Thank you. So the title is in a parenthetical. And it, the line breaks are a little, it's, it's, it's thin. It's thinner than it heard, maybe. <laughs> it's yeah. than it sounded like. It's really nice. It's so gentle. Um, I mean, the movement is so calm. Um, and the way the lines are laid out and the way the phrases are kind of structured. It's just, it's so gentle. That's funny. I was thinking the word delicate. Yeah. So there we go. 
And I love that title. It's warm here inside the fierce. WTF exactly. I don't know. But somehow it makes me think of music, like a song title, Inside the Fierce. That's the name of my next album. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right? It is a great album title. (laughs) (laughs) BBQ and the Slushies. It's in fact, warm here inside the Speaking field. of music, this, in my opinion, this poem sort of gets away with what music lyrics can do is you can have these giant gaps in meaning mm-hmm. and just have the, the words that you want to say, no matter what they mean, um, as long as the music's mm-hmm. good. I mean, like the, the repetition of the word gray here, that's something I normally would loathe, sing the same word twice or three yeah. times. But I found myself um, liking hearing it for some reason. I don't know why I like I'm hearing so it. I'm so glad to hear you say all those things. The music thing, the music analogy, the ability to like it without knowing why. <laughs> well, usually poems can't get away with leaving out that space because that's the difference between lyrics and, and poetry. But um, if it gets away with it, then it gets away with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Marion, you know me so well. Why do I like, you can imagine, with no punctuation <laughs> as the last line. Why do I like that so much? Do you like it? Uh, uh, well, I, think I think it's think intimate. What I'm digging about this poem, well, it's also ambivalent as shit, right? Like, it's it's got this double edge, right? Of um, you can imagine it's both an invitation and a judgment. Right. And I, I think that's where the, the poem opens up for me. Like this spaciousness is in the doubleness, right? It's warm here inside the fierce blithe belly of the beloved is the whole thought, right? Even though it's warm in here inside the fierce is both the title and the first line. And so like the, that weird place taking at the top, um, sets me up for this sort of strange, lyrical, almost like, well, such a spacious ride, right? The wedding was entirely gray, the way I like it, right? And then that last line, the tender sky, dot, 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 you can imagine. Again, I have to say, it just feels so ambivalent, right? It's both that invitation and it's almost an eye roll. Like you could read that as an eye roll. Not sure why you would, but you could, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm afraid that I'm not with you on that. Or even when you said it's also a judgment, I'm not really following. I don't know if I need to, but I didn't, I'm still not getting any sort of snark or judgment or, or any of the, I don't read it that way. Make it do that. No, I read it very quietly, almost sleepily. Yeah. Just sort of like kind of inhabiting a space that you're almost kind of numb to. Brett, do you have any thoughts on this one? Yes. Um, what I found intriguing was how she's speaking about being fierce, but then the whole poem focuses on the word gray. Mm-hmm. And when I think of fierce, I think of color, bright reds, bright oranges. But it's also fierce to be like, I'm going to make this wedding gray. And I don't care if that's not normal. Because <laughs> you know? who thinks of a gray wedding? Is that what a poem is about, a wedding? Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a wedding. I think there's a wedding. 
All right, let me come back at that. Maybe if it's not judgment, right? Then here's his poem about the wedding that ends with the penultimate line being on the ellipsis, the tender sky, dot, dot, dot. That feels really gentle. But then the you can imagine does this work of um, put like the addresses back to the reader to do the work of, of imagining, right? Which again is gentle, but at the same time sort of pushes it away, right? Like the, the work of the imagining is, is on the, the reader, right? Not the, not the descriptive work necessarily of the poem, but that's part of the lure, I think, of what's going on here, right? The sort of, the, the wedding as it's described and imagined here and the work of imagining is yours. You can imagine. I like that line even without the poem. I'm getting so goddamn burnt out with all the <laughs> electronic stuff and everything being online and ever so burnt out with the screen that I hear this line you can imagine. And I think that's right. I can imagine. I can imagine. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. going to do. Right. Yeah. And I can just right. take the day off. Yeah. And imagine stuff. <laughs> I like you the rest what? of the poem too, but that is That's very, fascinating. it's comforting for me. You yeah. know, dove gray is a very popular color mm. right now for walls and such that, and that, that kind of gray really does make you just melt like floaty, you know? Um, one, one of the, one thing that I would also like to, point out specifically here is we have this gray wedding and a colorful wind. That's really interesting too. Mm-hmm. The wind that's blowing through is color. I mean, you know, on a very gray day, everything can look gray. And I, I really can get that at a wedding too, because people, you know, in mid seasons, right. People wear neutral colors you don't want to stand up too much in a hot pink dress, right? Mm-hmm. The bride and groom are in white pastels and you got this gray sky and it's just gray. But I think that's what also makes the sky tender. When I read that line, a cold, colorful wind, I thought, I imagine the people wearing yeah. gray and their faces being different colors, different colorful people, mm-hmm. maybe different makeup. Mm-hmm. So that's what I saw. From Interesting. That. Yeah, it is with the guests. I wondered that too. I also, one of the readings, saw saw the guests in all those colors as opposed to the, you know, not monochrome necessarily, but, you know, the bridal party is matching and coordinated and, you know, not monochrome, but similar, right? And then you've got the guests that are the chaos. Mm-hmm. They, are, they could be the cold wind. I don't know if I'm looking too deep into this, but... When you said that, I jumped straight to the bottom line. I said, you can imagine. Because if everyone is wearing the same color and looking gray, maybe the bride being fierce in her head, she's imagining something completely different. Mm, mm. You know, like a green screen where um, it appears green to us in real life, but on the screen it appears to be this whole different picture. Yeah. So maybe that's what's going on inside her head. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Anything else out there, Marion, Jason? Um, I, I mean, something invites you in. Add to this. Yeah. No, go ahead. Um, sorry, Jason. There, no, you no. know, the, the, the gray upon gray upon gray. Like this whole time, I'm like, what the hell does that remind me of? And there's a poem that's like right at the edge of my consciousness. I think Reg, Reginald Shepherd, the poet Reginald Shepherd, we published a poem of his many, many moons ago um, that's called White Sail. Uh, 
and it and it's worth a Google and it's worth a if we can link it to this discussion uh, um, because that poem does this sort of layering of for him it's white upon white upon white upon white and it becomes this sort of like um, visual or linguistic pun for invisibility and disappearance. So it's a white sail against a white sky against a white sea. You basically can't see anything. And here it's the gray upon gray upon gray. And I'm, I'm, it, it's sort of like, again, sort of flattens into um, what the poet calls kind of tenderness, which is an interesting gesture. But I think that's, that's I would just throw that in there as a poem sort of as a, an echo or a resonance about these layered colors. I like how um, this makes me think of the nature of color and how we think of things having an objective color. An apple's red, but an apple's red because of the light source. And the colors requires the object and the light source. We don't. We tend to forget about the light source. Mm-hmm. The apple's red at specific mm-hmm. times of day under specific types of light. Um, with people with a specific type of vision. Um, anytime a poem gets me thinking about other things and kind of rolling around in my head, I like that. I like the opportunity to start mm. thinking about things like color and the arbitrary nature of color and how truth is conveyed through our senses differently. Um, shall we? Shall we vote since we could, so we could do one more of Amy's? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's do it. Um, one, two, three, shoot. Waiting for the long <laughs> voters. Sorry, I'm having technological difficulty. Kathy, I'm coming to you through Messenger. All right. Okay. Oh, technology. During this pause, can I ask these guys in the room? I don't want anybody to panic. But is there a slight yellow tinge in the color in here? Or or should I be panicking? No, you shouldn't be panicking. Is it a little, the color's a little yellowy? A little yellowy. Okay, and back to the voting. Did everybody hear that little Facebook pop? Yeah. I think it would be on the show. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and even more awesome is, it's unanimous. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Go, Amy. Go, Amy. Um, Marion. Yes. I would like to volunteer for you to read the next poem. The morning makes me nervous. Would that be okay? I, I feel you won't be raptured. Uh, well, if you have confidence in my lack of rapture, that's one of. The, I feel it. Um, I feel it. If I turn it up on that button, disappear, Jason. Jason, just just grab it. Um, sorry. <laughs> okay, ready. The morning makes me nervous. The morning makes me nervous some days until the music starts. Being jumpy isn't dancing, I guess. But maybe I'm playing the string so beautifully eerie in my head. I'm moving me with it. Coffee helps and saying quiet to all the no one. When the bold nights fight for me, I'm not certain who to root for. I know what a forest looks like 
the inside of the beloved's mouth, shadows and pale reds and a threat. The dogs inevitably want back in, the coffee being cold by the last drink of it. Thank you. Well done. See, told you you wouldn't get raptured. <laughs> so this one does the same two things in that the uh, the title is in parentheticals and is also the first line of the poem. The morning makes me nervous. So that happens. I, again, I feel that same sense of delicacy, that same sense of kind of like um, quietness, the kind of the internal monologue, the self speaking to the self in a way that sort of goes over something um, gently with a kind of, with a kind of, um, with a kind of calm insulation. Mm -hmm. But it does, it doesn't cover up the fact that there's like such an intensity of emotion in a certain way, like the calmness sort of um, belies how intense the feelings are. Mm -hmm. Being jumpy. And I think that for me, it's like, yeah. I was just going to say that that line made me think of it. Being jumpy isn't dancing, I guess. Right? The nervous jumpy. That's I love that. But that's what I I think is also carrying across these poems is a kind of like both fierce, like a fierce ambivalence, right? Like being jumpy isn't dancing. It's such a strong line. Line break, I guess is a way of like pulling back off of that confidence a little bit into that doubt, right? Which is fascinating. It's a, it's a fascinating um, way to, to be in that doubleness or that ambivalence, which just makes, I don't know, it makes the poem really kind of fiery in, a, in its quietness. Yeah, except for that, that next to the last stanza that is uh, absolutely not quiet. Let's talk about that because that's so different than either in than the other poems. Well, I know what a forest looks like inside of the beloved's mouth, shadows and pale reds and a threat. This reminds me of Ginger Baker's approach to playing drums. If you listen to Cream, you'll notice every time the part of the song gets to where the drummer should hit the cymbals, he won't hit the cymbals. He ever does it only maybe once or twice a song. So when he does it, it sounds bigger than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pete Townsend does the same thing with guitar. A lot of time when there's a big, like, anthemic moment, he'll just hit a note or two. And uh, the opposite reaction, it, it makes it bigger than it is. It's a really uh, controlled sense of dynamics. There's so much muted fear and desire in here that when you get to that, mm-hmm. suddenly it blossoms, mm-hmm. right. the emotion. I really like that. And it doesn't seem like she's trying either, right? It doesn't right. seem there's yes. no showing off moments. Well, I think that's the effortlessness of the prosody is really what moves you through it. Yeah. And of course, anything that looks effortless mm-hmm. means that the person spent forever on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like hair. <laughs> like hair. <laughs> that was my approach. This morning. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Good one. It's blustery um, too. <laughs> there's not a lot to blow dry. <laughs> but you work with what you got. 
and it pays off <laughs> yeah, because apparently. the rest of the day you're puffy and um, you, know, you don't have to use, uh, you don't have to meter your car. Everyone opens the door for you, gives you cups of coffee. It's a good day. I, I should have tried this technique. <laughs> oh, you've got the hair. You've got all the hair. That's these true. Days. I never get free coffee for my hair, though. <laughs> Last week you did. Jason, <laughs> Jason, immediately the, after this, put some clothes on, put some clothes on, <laughs> get out on the street, get to your closest yeah. coffee shop. And when the cashier says 285, point at your hair. Mm-hmm. Just, just be like, I already paid with this. <laughs> and, then, and then have somebody secretly camcord it. Remember that? Uh, uh, but speaking of coffee, I, wait, I just want to say one thing. I'm, I, what can somebody make me like drink of it better? The coffee being cold by the last drink of it. I, I loved, loved, loved the other yeah. one's last three words. And this one, I don't as much. Can somebody make me love it quick? Wait, which part did you not love? Drink of it. The last line, the three words that are the last line, uh, the coffee being cold by the last drink of it. I love the way that it angles against the syntax so that by the last drink Mm -hmm. of it means like the last time you drank, but then drink of it sort of becomes this um, command by the, by the make of the line break so that you're sort of forced to imbibe the emotion that's being described. I thought that was a really clever use of the line break that was kind of subtle, but not, um, like I, I would, I would find it gimmicky if it were a little bit um, more in your face, but I, I find it really subtle and I liked it. Thank you. That's exactly what I needed. Now I like it too. Now I'll drink of it. Um, yeah, let's do it. Ready? I have, Whoa, Brittany has something to add. I have a question. Um, where it says when the bold knights fight for me, I'm not certain who to root for. And then it goes on to say, I know what a forest looks like inside of the beloved's mouth, shadows and pale reds and a threat. Those lines just, I don't understand it, so I can't love it. Um, I have insomnia. And when the bald knights fight for me, I'm not certain who to root for. I think she has difficult nights. I'm projecting, 100% projecting, but that's my read. She has difficult nights, and that's why mornings are rough. Okay. Makes sense. I understand. So I got that part, I think. (laughs) Other thoughts on that? I think of when desire is taking over and you want something to happen romantically you're not sure what the outcome is going to be. It's always either going to be wonderful or terrible. Uh, you ha- or you're, it's absolutely out of your control, right? Right. And so, um, but mm-hmm. if you talk about it like that, it becomes corny. But if you say, when the bold knight fights for me, I'm not certain who to root for, it, it allows you, it just opens everything up to talk, think about insomnia or desire or whatever you want to. There's so many, night is such a great, moment somebody think everything changes at night music sounds better at night um desire burns brighter at night everything is everything flip-flops um your your right brain takes over but your right brain's crazy oh you know oh shoot i was ready to say no wonder if i always like nighttime better but but i mean it's just unpredictable i love you 
just, but you know what, Tim, that notion of like the wonderfulness and the terribleness combined again goes back to what I keep feeling about this sort of performance of ambivalence in each of these like lines and their, and their line breaks, right? So when the bold knights fight for me, I'm not certain. And now you're in the ambivalence, right? I'm not certain, or you're, at least you're in un- this, this quality of uncertainty. And then who to root for, right? Almost sounds like it's getting into that command territory, right? Again, and you're sort of like swung between these two places. And then it comes into, I know what a forest looks like inside of the beloved's mouth, which sounds like tender and, and, you know, almost the the erotic of it, shadows and pale reds and a threat, right? So, and it ends with that, as you said, that sort of drum symbol, right? Yeah, thus Um, the morning makes you nervous. Mm-hmm. So you wake up and it's like mm-hmm. when you put your hand in hot water and you can't decide if it's hot or cold because you, for that That's moment, when you shock. wake up, you're trying to piece everything together. Right. Right. One morning at the hotel with Marion, I woke up and I thought it was the day I was traveling there. You know what I mean? And I was like, Oh gosh, got to do that whole plane thing. You know what I mean? And then I, came to consciousness, to awareness that I was already there and I was in the hotel and it was amazing. Yeah. That was a great one. <laughs> <laughs> and Mary and the angel was sleeping in the bed next to me. And the next bed, I mean, the next bed. <laughs> um, I think we should vote. Amy, I'm on board, let's vote. Amy Bolado has waited long enough, shall we? One, two, three, vote. You messaging me, hon? Yep, it's on its way to you. Although now it's quiet. Well, uh, gang, while we're waiting for Marion's vote to come in, uh, Let's vote on whether we should do the third poem or we should uh, do that offline. And because everybody already has it, we've got one more by Amy. And by the time we will vote and have that in our notes as to what happened to the third. You guys think we should uh, move on since it's, I don't know, it's been about 40 minutes. We have 42 minutes right now. We're at 42 minutes. So I don't, I don't mind. I can stay or we can discuss the third one later. Um, Jason cannot stay. Oh. <laughs> Marion, honey, it did, nothing oh, came to yeah. Joe. Oh, oh, it came to Joe. All right, so it's unanimous. Woo-hoo. Yay! That's, sometimes it's good to not have any dramatic tension. Yeah. All right. So Jason can't stay. Should we? Should we? Uh, I uh, table. I'm getting younger for an online discussion. I mean, via email with us. Yes. Yeah, I think we should we should look at okay. okay. So in that case, uh, thank you so much to Aaron Kohler for waiting and allowing us to discuss this poem. And thank you so much for to Amy Billado. Um, now that we've done three years of the podcast, can you freaking believe it? Where are we beginning year? Yeah, no, we're beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three years. Three years. Um, we, when we're at AWP, uh, it's such, it's so lovely, uh, how many folks come up to us and want to meet us in person because of us discussing the poem online. Right. And, um, I've been, I've been 
this really isn't my fault. Guys, Mary and Jason, back me up about how crappy the Wi-Fi was in the expo hall. I was trying to live Instagram pictures of us with the people, and it was just near impossible. So I do have some more um, pictures to release this week, photos of us uh, hanging with authors at the book fair. And it was all so good. And I just want to thank our listeners, our readers, and our submitters so much for letting us do this, play with them like this. It was amazing. I had to run, but I will see you guys at our next podcast. All right, babe. Love you. Bye, slushies. I'm waving into the air right now. That's what I'm doing. I'm waving. Mayor? Yes? You have anything else to say? Uh, Just that it was absolutely a delight to hang out in Portland and to meet our contributors and talk to folks who are listening to the podcast. Um, uh, Primarily because some of them are so moved by the work that we're doing and really grateful for it. And and I, you know, I've said this before and I'll keep saying it. It is, it is a supreme joy to be able to talk about people's work that they've submitted to us. Um, I learned something new every time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. everyone. Absolutely. Um, what did you read on the plane home again? Oh, I read <laughs> Ada Lamont's The Carrying and it was extraordinary. So it's already gotten a ton of prize and uh, prizes and a ton of attention but if you're listening to this and haven't read ada's book carrying run don't walk to your local independent bookseller buy it and promise me you'll read it in one sitting (laughs) this 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 book demands your time and attention in one go and it will reward you in ways that i don't even want to talk about because you should have the experience of ada's mind in your mind for a moment Right. Thank you, Marion. I love the tradition of um, you getting on a plane and taking a photo of yourself with a flute of champagne and whatever book (laughs) leap into. I really do love that tradition. And and Ada needs no promo from us, but um, I will always uh, want to claim our early adoption of Ada Lamont's work. <laughs> that's right. And that's why I feel like, you know, so boosting her is really just talking good things about PBQ because we found her very early on and published her very early on and she's a great friend of the magazine. It was lovely to see her there as well. And um, I guess that's it. Any Anything else? Anybody? All right, then. Uh, readers keep reading. Slushies keep listening. Thanks to everybody. And good night, Mary.